please subscribe and leave a review of Dorky wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can support the pod if you'd like. You can use PayPal or buy me a coffee. There are links to both methods on Dorky's website and in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much. Before the episode, let me tell you about an amazing online boutique that I just know you're going to love. Save Boutique is a great place for clothes, accessories, and shoes. One of the great things about Save is that it's size inclusive. Most items Save offers are available in sizes from small to 3X, and they're looking into ways to offer even more sizing options. They also drop new items every week, so there's always new things to choose from. They even offer three buy now, pay later options, shop pay, Klarna, and Afterpay. One last thing, they're offering a discount to Dorky listeners. Just enter the code Dorky, that's D-O-O-R-K-E-Y, all caps, no spaces, for a 10% discount. I even put a link to Safe Boutique in the description notes of this episode that will take you directly there and automatically apply the discount. So check out the amazing clothes, accessories, and shoes Safe Boutique has to offer. You'll be so glad you did. Hello, this is Dorky. I'm your host, April. This is a podcast about history. I'm going to be discussing events, people, and sometimes just random things from history that interest me and are important. I am absolutely not an expert or historian. I'm just a dork who spends a lot of time watching, reading, listening to anything I can get my hands on about history, and I want to talk about it. I think a lot can be learned from looking into the past, and I'd like to share what I've learned and I hope you enjoy it. A few weeks ago, I was lucky enough to have author Donna Rubin as a guest on this podcast. The historical figure Lady Jane Grey came up during the conversation I had with her, and I said that I thought Lady Jane Grey was a steward. After our conversation, I checked, and, well, I was very wrong. Lady Jane Grey wasn't a steward at all. In fact, I realized that I didn't know much about Lady Jane Grey at all. So I'm devoting this episode to her to make up for my misspeaking, but honestly, also to share what I've learned about Lady Jane Grey, because she had a very interesting, although sadly short, life. So right off the bat, here's a quote from Lady Jane Grey's Wikipedia page. Quote, Lady Jane Grey was the eldest daughter of Henry Grey, first Duke of Suffolk, and his wife, Frances. The traditional view is that she was born at Bradgate Park in Leicestershire in October 1537, while most recent research indicates that she was born somewhat earlier, possibly in London, sometime before May 1537, or between May 1536 and February 1537. So, yeah, we don't know her exact birthday. I will spare you all the rehashing of my feelings about women in the past 
not being valued enough to even have their birth dates recorded, because I've already said how I feel about all of that on previous episodes. But I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention that I saw it here and pointed out. Tirade over. We do know that she was the oldest of three. Lady Jane had two sisters. They were named Lady Catherine and Lady Mary. Side note, I know it gets tricky trying to keep track with everyone, especially when they only seemed to choose from like four first names back then, but I'll do my best to try to keep everything as clear as possible. Lady Jane's mother, Frances, was Henry VIII's sister, Mary's daughter. So this would make Lady Jane Henry VIII's great-niece, and Henry's children, Mary, Elizabeth, and Edward, Lady Jane's cousins once removed. Thanks, Google. I'm not going to lie. I have the hardest time keeping family relation titles like that straight. But in this case, it's apparently cousins once removed. Lady Jane had a good education and had a reputation for being one of the most learned women of the day. She spoke Latin and Greek and studied Hebrew and Italian. She also studied religion, and she became a committed Protestant and even corresponded with Heinrich Bullinger, who was one of the most important leaders of the Swiss Reformation. Lady Jane is said to have preferred academic studies rather than activities such as hunting parties, which, same, but it doesn't seem as if her childhood was exactly happy, and it seems like she thought her upbringing was strict and harsh. She was visited by the scholar Roger Ascham, and it said he found her reading Plato, and that she said this to him, For when I am in the presence either of father or mother, whether I speak, keep silence, sit, stand, or go, eat, drink, be merry, or sad, be sewing, playing, dancing, or doing anything else, I must do it as it were in such weight, measure, and number even so perfectly as God made the world, or else I am so sharply taunted, so cruelly threatened, yea, presently sometimes with pinches, nips, and bobs, and other ways which I will not name for the honor I bear them, that I think myself in hell. The fact that she went through this and felt like this makes me really sad for her. So Lady Jane's great-uncle, Henry VIII, had a daughter, Mary, with his first wife, a daughter, Elizabeth, with his second wife, and a son, Edward, with his third wife. Without getting too bogged down here, Henry VIII's relationship with his daughters wasn't very good. He even took them both out of the line of succession at various points. It was Henry VIII's sixth wife who would convince him to put Mary and Elizabeth back into the line of succession. Henry did place his daughters back into the line of succession, but they would be in line after Edward. Even though Edward was the youngest, he was ahead of his sisters, Mary and Elizabeth, in line for the throne because they were women. Mary and Elizabeth being placed back into the line of succession was a really big deal and was known as the Third Succession Act. Then Henry VIII died, which meant that his son, Edward, was now king. But Edward was only nine and too young to rule on his own, so there was a regency council set up to help him rule until he came of age. 
There were like 16 members of this council, but really the only members important to the story I'm telling today are Edward Seymour, who would be named Lord Protector, his brother, Thomas Seymour. They were Edward's dead mother Jane's brothers, so Edward's uncles, and John Dudley. Things get messy here, so bear with me. There was a wild power struggle on this council. Eventually, Thomas Seymour secretly married Henry VIII's widow, Catherine Parr. Lady Jane was sent to live with Thomas and Catherine in February-ish of 1547. Lady Jane would live with the couple at Sudley Castle in Gloucestershire as an attendant to Catherine until Catherine died in childbirth in September of 1548. Lady Jane was only about 10 years old at the time, but she was chief mourner at Catherine's funeral. Then, after Thomas Seymour's eventual arrest and execution for treason, he literally tried to kidnap Edward and ended up shooting a dog in the process. It was a whole thing. Lady Jane returned to her parents' home in Bradgate Park and continued her studies. In May 1553, Lady Jane married Lord Guildford Dudley. Guildford was the son of Edward's chief minister, John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland. Now, I need to cut into the story here for a moment to lay some groundwork for what's coming. England had been going through a lot when it comes to religion. To quickly summarize, England was originally a Catholic nation, but Henry VIII severed ties with that church and declared himself the head of the Church of England, which meant that all of his subjects needed to follow this new religion. Henry VIII's son, Edward, followed this new religion, and so was very, very Protestant. His older sister, Mary, never converted from Catholicism, which was a source of great tension between the two siblings. Edward became sick in February of 1553 and knew it was a serious illness. His very Catholic sister, Mary, was in line for the throne after him. But that would mean that the country would go back to being Catholic, which Edward absolutely didn't want to happen. So he drafted a will that overrode Henry VIII's Third Succession Act. Edward called this my device for the succession. This will removed Mary and Elizabeth from the line of succession and named his cousin, once removed, Lady Jane Grey, as heir to the throne. So I'll be the first to admit that as much as I love history, I'm not much of a date person. So, yes, I'd always thought it was, we'll say convenient, that Lady Jane Grey married the son of John Dudley, who was on Edward's Regency Council, then was named Queen in Edward's will. But while doing research for this episode, I saw and actually paid attention to the dates. It stuck out to me that Lady Jane and John's son, Guilford Dudley, got married just a few months after Edward had written his will, which was just a few months before Edward died. I mean, I'd always thought the timing was suspicious, and that naming Lady Jane as heir seemed kind of out of the blue. But seeing all of the dates in black and white, it's not too much of a stretch to say that this was probably all planned by the council, specifically John Dudley, Guilford Dudley's father, right? So, Edward died July 6, 1553, of what's now assumed to be tuberculosis. 
It's very sad. The poor kid had been really, really sick for over six months. But there's no time for us to mourn Edward, because things might have been messy before, but here's where things get wild. First, Edward's death wouldn't be announced to the public for four days. According to official records, Lady Jane was informed that she was now queen on July 9th, and, according to her own later claims, accepted the crown only with reluctance. On July 10th, she was officially proclaimed Queen of England, France, and Ireland, after she had taken up secure residence in the Tower of London, where English monarchs would customarily stay until their coronation. Lady Jane refused to name her husband Guilford Dudley as king, because that would require an act of parliament. Lady Jane's primary supporter for this claim was, surprise, her father-in-law, John Dudley. Now, in order to complete this soft coup, John Dudley had to make sure of a few things. The first thing on his list was to get a hold of Henry VIII's daughter, Princess Mary, to make sure she didn't gather support. So, he left London with troops to capture Princess Mary. While he was gone, the rest of Lady Jane's Privy Council switched their allegiance and proclaimed Princess Mary Queen on July 19th. The general historical belief is that this happened because the council recognized the country's overwhelming support of Princess Mary, but there's really no clear evidence for that. Instead, it looks like a man named Henry Fitzalan, 19th Earl of Arundel, who John Dudley had arrested and detained twice as an ally of Thomas Seymour, engineered a coup d'etat of the soft coup in the Privy Council in John Dudley's absence. So, an Uno reverse card, if you will. With that, all of the council abandoned Lady Jane one by one and took Princess Mary's side. Now, to be clear, Princess Mary wasn't having any of this not being named Queen Business. She'd been mistreated most of her life and had been taken out of and then put back into the line of succession, only to suddenly find out that her brother had left the crown to their cousin Lady Jane. Mary, the daughter of King Henry VIII and Queen Catherine of Aragon, was not about to let that happen. So Princess Mary, along with a large group of royal supporters, made their way to London, and Mary quickly claimed the crown that was rightfully hers. Just like that, Lady Jane's nine days as queen were over. Lady Jane was imprisoned in the Tower's gentleman jailer apartments. Her husband, in Beauchamp Tower, John Dudley, was executed on August 22, 1553. In September, Parliament declared Mary the rightful successor and denounced and revoked Lady Jane's proclamation as that of a usurper. Side note, I'm sorry, but I just have to say that I deserve all the points in the world for not pronouncing the word usurper like Stannis Baratheon would. Lady Jane was charged with high treason, as was her husband and two of his brothers, as well as the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer. Their trials were held by a special commission and took place on November 13, 1553, at Guildhall in the city of London. To no one's surprise, all defendants were found guilty and sentenced to death. Lady Jane was found guilty 
of, quote, having treacherously assumed the title and the power of the monarch, as evidenced by documents she signed as Jane the Queen. Side note, Queen was spelled Q-U-E-N-E. -E. I don't think I'll ever get tired of the phonetic way words were spelled before spelling became more standardized. Lady Jane's sentence was, quote, to be burned alive on Tower Hill or beheaded as the Queen pleases. Queen Mary, probably best known to us today by her nickname Bloody Mary, actually initially spared Lady Jane's life. But then Queen Mary became engaged to Philip of Spain and Lady Jane's father, Henry Grey, and his two brothers became involved with what's known as Wyatt's Rebellion, which was a protest of this marriage. Because of this, Lady Jane became viewed as a threat to the crown. Lady Jane and her husband were executed on February 12, 1554. At the time of her death, Jane was either 16 or 17 years old. So, that's the story of Lady Jane Grey, also known as the Nine Days Queen. I, personally, find it hard to condemn Lady Jane, a girl of 16 or 17, for any of this. It seems to me that Lady Jane had little, if any, agency of her own, and was used as a pawn by all the adults around her. In that day and age, even though she would have technically been the queen, by marrying Guilford Dudley, she was effectively giving any power she would have held to him, as he'd be king. Even though Lady Jane refused to officially name Guilford as king, the very fact that she was a woman and he was a man would mean everyone would automatically defer to him anyway. According to later remarks by imperial ambassadors, Lady Jane's daily council meetings were presided over by Guilford, who allegedly also dined in state alone and had himself addressed in regal style. The French ambassador described Guilford as, quote, the new king. The imperial court in Brussels also believed in the existence of King Guildford. So this isn't me overthinking the situation, which I admit I tend to do. Just these examples alone tell the story that Queen Jane's husband was already being looked at as the one in charge. It seems to me that John Dudley planned all of this when he saw Edward was sick. To marry his son to Lady Jane, then have Edward leave the crown to Lady Jane. Lady Jane and Guilford were both executed on February 12, 1554. Lady Jane gave a short speech from the scaffold. Good people, I am come hither to die, and by a law I am condemned to the same. The fact, indeed, against the Queen's Highness was unlawful, and the consenting thereunto by me, but touching the procurement and desire thereof by me or on my behalf, I do wash my hands thereof in innocy before God and the face of you, good Christian people, this day. I pray you all, good Christian people, to bear me witness that I die a true Christian woman, and that I look to be saved by none other mean, but only by the mercy of God in the merits of the blood of his only Son, Jesus Christ. And, I confess, when I did know the word of God, I neglected the same, loved myself and the world, and therefore this plague or punishment is happily happened unto me for my sins. And yet, 
I thank God of his goodness, that he hath thus given me a time and respite to repent. And now, good people, while I am alive, I pray you to assist me with your prayers. Lady Jane and Guilford are both buried in the chapel of St. Peter ad Vincula on the north side of Tower Green. No memorial stone was erected at their grave. Some of the sources used for this episode, hrp.org, tudordynasty.com, the Speaking While Female Speech Bank, and Wikipedia. So that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at dorkypod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know if I left something out or got something wrong, or let me know if there's something in particular in history that you'd like me to talk about. There's also a Facebook group called Dorky Podcast and an Instagram at Dorky Pod. Join them and be part of our growing community, but also to get extra tidbits about episode topics like facts and pictures. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're hearing it. It helps the podcast grow, but more importantly, your feedback will help me make this a better podcast. Until we meet again, friends, 